You are listening to the Birth Bruja podcast, radical, transformative, empowering birth work in all its nuances. Reproductive justice, racial justice, reclaiming ancestral wisdom, decolonizing the birth space. Here, my friends, we go deep. Join us each month as we chat with activists, scholars, healers, community wellness workers, birthing folk, and beyond to explore topics from their roots to their leaves. Episode 18, Part 3 of the Supporting Survivors Who Birth series, a dive into the intersections of sexual violence and birth work and what we can do to best be of support for survivors. In this episode, we once again speak with somatic coach, rape crisis counselor, and birthing person, Tabitha Thomas, for candid storytelling of her two birth experiences as a survivor of childhood sexual assault. If you haven't already, I encourage you to stop this episode and listen to the first two parts of the series so that you can listen to the story with a strengthened ability to recognize the aspects of survivorship that surface in an otherwise common experience of birth and postpartum. Interested in learning more about supporting survivors? This series is in celebration of my upcoming training through Cornerstone Doula Trainings called Supporting Survivors Who Birth. It's a four-hour online intensive with an anti-oppression-based exploration into the intersections of sexual violence and birth work. In this training, you will deepen your understanding of the workings and impact of sexual violence, unveil the ways in which trauma can manifest for survivors through birth, pregnancy, and postpartum, embody these practices through role-playing to feel what it can be like to provide support in the moment, Identify and strengthen your abilities to best be of support. The first two parts of this series are a sneak peek into the training. Go to birthbruja.com to see a detailed description of what the course will cover. And without further delay, let's dive in. Welcome back, Tabitha Thomas. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Apparently around the price is right. 
Uh, <laughs> come on uh, down. Come on down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so those of y'all may recognize her voice and her name and her energy. Uh, Tabitha joined us at the first episode of this series where we dove into more of like a 101 level of uh, looking at sexual assaults in the in the context of our society, um, mm-hmm. looking at how it can impact survivors, looking at the prevalence of it, like who are the perpetrators, who are the folks that are sexually assaulted, what can we do in support of survivors, the whole jazz. And she rejoins us again, but this time not as a professional per se, but rather as a survivor and as a birthing person. So Tabitha, thanks again so much for being here to share your stories. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, I'm excited to tell my story. I've written my birth stories just kind of for myself and close friends and family. Um, So hopefully I won't be too long winded. Feel free to (laughs) ask me any questions or pause me in between. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I have. So do you want me to just get started? Well, before you do that, if you can actually just reintroduce yourself to folks who may have not heard the first episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So where are your people from? What are you doing these days? Awesome. Okay. Um, I'm Tabitha Thomas, and I currently live in Sacramento. Um, I've been here for four years. Before that, I was in San Francisco Bay Area for about 15 years. And then before that, I grew up in Humboldt County. Before that, my mom immigrated here in 1969 from Taiwan. Uh, We are native Taiwanese. And my father's family are from Oklahoma and Washington State um, by way of a bunch of different places in Europe. (laughs) And so that's kind of who I am in a nutshell, where I come from. And I... um, I've been doing uh, anti-rape work for about, since 2007, so about 12 years. And um, I recently launched my own private practice, Creative Coaching, where I'm working with advocates um, and activists um, who are really wanting to focus on their own healing and commitments. Awesome. And where can folks find that information? Oh, uh, www.sjcreativecoaching.org. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so launching right in, if that's where we're yes. heading next. Okay, yes. cool. So I have, uh, to date, I have a seven-year-old and I have a three-year-old. He just turned three like a week ago. And yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of go a little linear <laughs> with this storytelling and see where it goes. I got pregnant with my oldest. Um, his name is Levi. At that time, you know, just to kind of paint the picture of where I was, um, you already stated, you know, I am a survivor of child sexual abuse. Um, at the time when I got pregnant, I was deeply in you know, therapy, so to speak. Um, It wasn't conventional therapy. I was seeing a somatic practitioner, which is what I do now, actually. So I was seeing a somatic practitioner really around my own healing, right? And this is years after having done therapy as well, a bunch of other things that were just healing for me, like dancing. And so at age 33, I was uh, a couple years out of divorce, I was unemployed. I was in a very new relationship. And surprise, I got pregnant. <laughs> so yeah, 
uh, it was it was an interesting time. And so that's kind of like where I was. I was like temping in offices and living in a studio apartment in San Francisco that I could not afford today if I were still there. <laughs> and um, and I got pregnant. And I remember the moment I found out I was pregnant, regardless of my circumstances and where I was, I was just elated. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, having gone through a divorce, I didn't know when my next serious relationship was going to be and you know, if I was going to have children or not. So anyway, going into my pregnancy, um, just kind of my nature, like I said, I was seeing a somatic practitioner. I was talking a little bit about pregnancy. My somatic practitioner happened to be a doula as well. Yes. I was like, blessing. So naturally, I asked them to be my doula and um, saved up every single penny so that I could afford a birth doula. And they were fantastic. So I'll go more into that later. But, you know, one of the things I did to prepare, like for me it was all about preparation, right? I read everything birth related that I could get my hands on. I was on forums. I was, you know, in the interwebs. I read Ina Mae Gaskin and blah, 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 all the things, right? And I watched Birth Without Fear. And ultimately, like, I wanted to know all the possibilities. I wanted to know, and, you know, I think this is my survivorship coming through, right? I wanted to know the best case scenario, the worst case scenario, what might happen if I lost this baby, what mm-hmm. might happen if I miscarried, what might happen if the birth was just wonky or traumatic, or I wanted to know everything. So I read a bunch of different stories. Um, and ultimately, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to do a home birth, and I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um In preparation, I did a lot of like mindfulness practices, went for walks in nature. I did a lot of art making. I found this guidebook on um, visualization and creating your birth mandala. Mm -hmm. And that was a really beautiful experience that I cherish to this day. I get all choked up thinking about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I still have that birth mandala. And of course, it is 10 centimeters in diameter. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that was with me during during birth. And it was kind of later on in my pregnancy, I don't remember exactly when, when my doula, who of course knew my whole history of trauma, um, kind of brought it up in session around like, so, you know, have you given any thought to how how this might impact your experience. And I mean, I had, but I hadn't really had a direct conversation like that. So I am very appreciative that they brought that up. Mm -hmm. And it was key because I hadn't really given it a ton of thought. I kind of, yes, I read about survivors, but again, not not a lot of the writing, at least that I came across really dives into that. Right. What Um, was your reaction? um, I think when, when they brought it up, I was kind of like, Oh, fuck. (laughs) You know, like, it was kind of like I mentioned in the last um, podcast or episode that it was a little bit of like, fuck, I got really, like, I just want to enjoy my pregnancy. (laughs) I just like, really, I got to bring that up here too, like in this, you know, like, okay, I got this new dude. (laughs) I need to figure out uh, my body's changing drastically. And now I have to deal with my trauma on top of it. Exactly. It's like, I ain't got time for that. Seriously. (laughs) Seriously. But um, God, I don't even remember all the ways in which they helped me to kind of like work through it and process it. But they were extremely helpful. And, 
you know, I will say that, like, as I was kind of like thinking about what I wanted to share in this podcast, I was kind of thinking about like, okay, well, what are the kind of themes of my survivorship related to, you know, childbirth, you know, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum? Like, what is the kind of theme of how I think that, you know, um, birth and survivorship, (laughs) I can't speak. (laughs) How are the ways in which, you know, birth and survivorship intersected for me personally? Mm -hmm. And I think um, control is the word that comes to mind. And you see that in the way, like in my pregnancy, how I kind of needed to like almost research to this level of like mastery. Mm. Right. Um, That was a way for me to control. Um, And I'm not saying this. I don't think there's anything negative about that. I think, I think control sometimes the word control or controlling has a negative connotation. And I don't believe that to be the case at all for this situation. Mm -hmm. Like that was, that was key for me. Right. Right. Um, Another thing that I controlled for better or for worse was kind of my intake of food. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I I have had a history of, you know, I, I, I was never diagnosed with a eating disorder or anything like that. But I was, um, um, I've been a dancer since I was 12. And I was a very active dancer in my 20s. And my relationship with food has always been uh, wonky, if you will. And I've always been a curvy girl. And I think, you know, maybe subconsciously during pregnancy, it was like, okay, I just, I I can't think about my body and how I look or what size I am. I just need to take care of this baby. And there was a little bit of a pendulum swing in the extreme direction, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for better or for worse. Had a healthy baby, so that's good. Yes. Um, But I I gained, like, I don't know, because I don't know what my weight was when I got pregnant. So I think I gained somewhere between... 80 or 90 pounds. And I, you know, I want to normalize that experience too, because you hear there's so much pressure from, you know, if you see a Western doctor, right, there's so much pressure of, oh, you should only be gaining 25 pounds. You should only be, you know, and this is not linear, but go fast forward to when I was pregnant with Zeke, my three-year-old, I was considered obese when I went in there and they said, okay, well, with your weight now, you should really um, aim to gain about 11 pounds. And I fucking laughed at that. I was like, I already did that. (laughs) I'm eight weeks and I already did that. Okay. Like, no. (laughs) Um, So yeah. So that's just kind of like, you know, I want to paint the picture of like everything I was kind of dealing with. Right. Yeah. It's really easy for us to strive for perfection in that context of trying to control. And and just to know that we just need to not just survive, right? But really right. take care of the really important pieces. And you mm-hmm. were nourishing that baby. You were right? nourishing yourself in a variety of ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to really highlight from my pregnancy. Um, I mean, ultimately, it was a stressful time, but it was pregnancy-wise, it was great, right? Like I, I had, I, I really did grow this new relationship with my body, that was all about nurturing, right? Mm. Or nurturance, however you say that properly. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's pretty much that. I'll, I'll kind of move forward if it's okay into the birth part of the story. So I, I gave both to both of my babies like on their due date. How bizarre is that? Wow. I know. I don't know what is up with that, but that was just some randomness that occurred. Um, but when I went into labor with Levi, it was, I was in labor. I don't know how y'all like describe labor. <laughs> like, 
when it started, you know, but I was, I, I think I went into labor like on a Wednesday, right? Or Tuesday, there were some signs when I looked back, right? But I had um, Levi Friday night, late at night. So I was in labor for a few days there. Um, it was a long labor. I remember, you know, getting this like burst of energy right before right before labor. And I remember reading about that. I was like, ha, ah! <laughs> I did my research. This is the thing. This is the thing. It might be happening. And like literally in one single day, mind you, like I've been resting or just kind of like lightly nesting around the house. And then in this one day, I don't know if it was Tuesday or Wednesday, I needed to go get ice cream. And I was walking really slowly because <laughs> that's as fast as I could walk. But then I got this burst of energy. And so I decided to walk Lake Merritt. And I remember climbing the stairs. Do you wow. know the stairs at Lake Merritt in Oakland? Yes. Yeah. My pregnant ass did that. <laughs> and I remember getting to the top and I could barely breathe. I was like, <laughs> but I just, I don't know why. I was like, oh, the books say walk stairs. So I did some damn stairs. And then they didn't stop there. I like got home and I forget the name of the show now. There was some show and it was like some home decorating show. They were showing you how to make a mobile. <laughs> and I was like, I need to make a mobile. Crucial. So I'm like, crucial yeah, that crucial. you make a mobile right now. I forget. Oh my gosh. I saved that thing for the longest until it got all tangled. But like I literally went out and like grabbed tree branches from the tree yes. in the backyard. Yes. And then I I cut out birds. <laughs> And I think there was paint involved or I don't know, but like I had this beautiful mobile and then like Fred had to help me hang. Fred's my partner, my husband. Um, he had to help me hang it and I was getting really frustrated. So super irritable because it wasn't hanging right. It was this like obscure, like randomness thing that just kept falling around. So finally it got hung correctly. <laughs> and I could move on to the next stage. This is some early labor realness right here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because in the moment, like, it was serious, Ari. <laughs> it was serious. And we can joke about it now. It's like, oh, my God, I really had to make that mobile. Anyway, so I will say, like, you know, whether it's my relationship with my body or the all the planning and, and research that I did and preparation, I absolutely went into birth um, with a really deep trust in my body. Mm. And that was incredible. That was such an empowering feeling. Um, I think, uh, you know, again, from some of my reading, mainly Ina Mae Gaskin, I really took into consideration redefining pain mm. and recognizing that like childbirth is natural it's normal. And I think in the book, um, one of the books, um, they describe it as surges. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that. It was a little too hippy dippy for me. But I, <laughs> I, but I went with that idea of like, okay, the, this is normal. This is what is going to happen to be able to birth this child. And I had imagery of ocean waves. And so my mandala that I created is actually a wave. And what I kind of told myself was, okay, so I, I did the like, you know, I think I don't even remember now, but like, I think um, they say that contractions can last up to like a minute and a half. Generally, yeah. Okay. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, all right, so basically what I just need to do is count to 90 and it'll be over. 
And I imagined it as ocean waves, right? How they come and go. So I kind of had that visual and I looked, I would look at my mandala when I was, when I was birthing and I would count. And those are some of the like practical skills that I brought into the whole birthing process. I think too, like my long labor for number one was really, you know, people always like, Ooh, wow, that was so long. But honestly, I think it's what I needed for me to kind of like um, pace and gradually move into the different stages. Mm. And that was really helpful for me to be like, okay, and now I'm here. (laughs) And now, and now I'm leaning on the counter, rocking in my hips. Okay. Oh, another funny story. When I was in labor and finally, you know, the doula were there, the midwife was there at our home. We were living in Berkeley at the time and my husband's there. Oh, we weren't married yet because we were like, we're getting married like we've done that before. So my boyfriend, my boyfriend was there. And <laughs> we, I remember like, I, this is when like looking back, this is when I started to transition. And I told everyone, I forgot that I gave instructions to everyone like to not talk. <laughs> and that I wanted to watch whatever I wanted to watch on TV. Well, I had been, but so many hours had gone by that all of a sudden freaking family guys on the TV. And I'm like too deep in my moment to like be like, y'all can change a channel. But the whole time I was sitting there, I was like, it's like there are all these layers of 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 reality and layers of conversation happening to myself in my own head during right. labor. Right. And and there was one layer like way back there. Right. That was like, why the fuck won't they change the channel? This is ridiculous. <laughs> oh god so anyway there's that um, oh my god i'm sorry i've been smi- i've been sitting here with such a huge smile <laughs> on my face because i know what you're talking about mm-hmm. i'm not a birthing person but i'm like really good at going into trance states yes. and, and it's like for me it feels like the distance between you and your mouth is right. like really far away so instead yeah. it's just you and this internal land because the effort <laughs> To say it out loud would like take you out of the trance right. or it's just too much work. Exactly. exactly. And it's like, you know, okay, going with your visual, I'm seeing like rings on a, on a tree, you know, like the, the cut yeah. of a tree trunk, you know, all the rings. It was like that ring was way out there. <laughs> it was nowhere near my mouth or the world. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was. I was in a very deep state. Um, I remember we eventually moved upstairs and I wanted a water birth. Um, in my preparation and visualization, I imagined exactly where I was going to give birth, right? Like I was going to be in the tub where we had it. I was going to be seeing the light. I decided it was going to happen at dawn. Is that right? Yeah, morning. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was going to see that like beautiful dawn, whatever the color of the sky is at that time and blah, blah, blah. And my cat was going to be nearby. None of that happened, of course. But I was in the water and things that's when things got intense. And I think I'm trying to remember, you know, I I feel really fortunate because I think the the my biggest fear was losing control. Like losing control of oh, fuck, I can't do this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a normal place for people to go during childbirth. Right. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was fearful of that, right? And I would say that it, at the most intense, I remember hitting Fred's arm for no reason. Just he was there. <laughs> but I was just like hitting his arm. And that was helping me to kind of like 
stay present. And my doula's presence was huge because they had they have such a calming presence. And I will say, I want to throw in there too, like that was huge because my husband love him to death, but he does not have a calming presence. He, he has anxiety as do I. And so his anxiety lifts my anxiety. And so the doula helped to buffer that Hmm. in a huge way. Um, So anyway, fast forward, I started to push. And then at one point they said, the midwife was like, I can't, I can't find his heartbeat. So I need you. And she was very calm. She's like, I can't find his heartbeat. So I'm going to need you to get out of the tub and transfer to the bed. And I literally, I'd been barely able to move, right? I leapt out of that tub like a gazelle. Like, I was like, must go to bed. Right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, you can't find a heartbeat? I'm out. And I got to the bed and, you know, I done all the research and it all, it made sense to me that like, oh, you know, you're all the natural ways, all the positions that you might be in to give birth. I ended up birthing literally on my back in bed. That's <laughs> totally I, okay. I know, but it's so funny to me that like with all my research of like, ooh, do I want like a, you know, a swing? Do I want a birthing stool? All these things. And I want to be in the tub. No, I was like on my bed. <laughs> And at one point, they um, they gave me an oxygen mask. And that freaked me out. Because <laughs> I felt like it was suffocating me because it's something on my face. And I kept batting it away. And they kept putting it on. I kept batting it away. <laughs> I mm. kept putting it on. Um, and then I remember with the first urge to push, I was like, I ain't ready. And that, whatever your internal, you know, um, conversation is, is powerful, right? So I was telling myself, okay, very intentionally, I'm ready for this, but just not now. How about the next contraction? (laughs) Good for you. And it was great because then the next contraction came and I was like, it's happening. And I remember, you know, so much of what we fear, but like, it felt so good to finally be pushing. It felt so good to birth my baby. Mm. Um, it was incredible. And, you know, the, they talk about the ring of fire. I didn't really have that, but I do remember the the point, you know, where it was like, wow, this is happening. <laughs> this baby's coming out of my birth canal. I also felt him drop into my birth canal, which was really cool. Mm. Um, yeah. So that was in the tub. So I gave birth on the bed and then they placed him on my chest and I was fucking exhausted. And I, I had guilt for a long time because like I could barely look at my baby. I literally was just like splat on the bed. I kind of like lifted my head to look at him and he was purple and that kind of freaked me out. But I was like, I'm going to have faith that they got this. (laughs) And I laid back down and it was not, you know, what I imagined from the movies. It wasn't the like, oh, my baby, you're beautiful, you know, or, or the like embracing or let me put you straight to my breast. Like none of that. It was like, fuck, I did that. And he's purple and there you are. And now what? <laughs> um, and then I don't, you know, of course, like time frame, I don't remember anything, but I gave birth at 1037 PM and the birth team was gone by 2 AM completely cleaned up, looked like I could throw a dinner party in my house after just having a home birth. Nice. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, before they left, I took a shower and I remember feeling very faint in the shower and I was like, 
someone was in the room, I was like, uh, who's there? Yeah. <laughs> the doula. They're like, it's me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I might need help. I'm feeling really dizzy. And they helped me back to the bed and I, they made sure that the baby, you know, went to my breast and then they were gone. And then it was me and Fred and this newborn baby. And I don't know where my cat was. (laughs) (laughs) And we just looked at each other like, now what? Like we have this human and I was exhausted. And I would say, you know, Gosh, I don't, I think we, we never, we didn't even negotiate or like talk about what this postpartum period was going to be like. Like So often the case, I think with first time, you know, mothers or first babies, you, you plan so much for the birth, right? And you don't really plan for the postpartum period or the the fourth trimester. (laughs) And, um, you know, I would say that was the start of the like martyr mom in me that came out Mm. (laughs) where it was like. I literally like it never occurred to me and I think there should be much more talk about this because I've really you know I've talked to other moms who can relate where in the moment I felt like I can't how can I sleep how can I possibly sleep what if something happens to my baby right I can't sleep when they sleep because you know you're especially in this day and age like you're just like scared to death of SIDS right I could not sleep so I don't know how we did it we got some rest the next day, I had this burst of energy, which is normal. Um, my whole family came over and met the baby. It was like a party. <laughs> it was great. And then two days later, when Levi was three days old, Fred left to run an errand, came back and was like, um, we need to go to the doctor. Like, he's yellow. Like, I think he has jaundice really bad. So long story short, we went to the hospital. And we, had to, we were advised by our doctor to go to the emergency room. And it was... It was a, you know, it was traumatic for me. It was, by no means was it like massively traumatic, but like in the moment for me, it was really traumatic. Um, I, I feel like medical staff, once they knew that I had home birthed, I think they assumed that I would deny my baby medical care. Hmm. And so they really emphasized that he might die. Jeez. Which just pisses me off. So I was paranoid, right? And, you know, watching my baby get pricked so many times to get the IV, that was really upsetting. I literally did not sleep for, I I slept for about 30 minutes in three days. I was going to say that lack of sleep very much impacts how we experience the world and how quickly we go to panic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. So I had, oh, this is funny. You'll like this. I had um, planned to encapsulate my own placenta. (laughs) You were going to encapsulate your placenta? Yeah. That is, as someone who knows you personally, that is not surprising. (laughs) So how did that encapsulation go? (laughs) Um, yeah, so that didn't happen. I did not encapsulate my own placenta. Um, but after, you know, we got back from the hospital, we were there for three days. Um, he went into the, you know, little, what was it called? The light, light, Mm -hmm. 
box. I don't know. He had light therapy and we came home and um, I immediately called my midwifery team. Can any one of y'all like emergency style encapsulate my placenta like now? And one of them was so kind and came and picked up my placenta and encapsulated it, brought it back hours later, Nice. Um, maybe like three hours later. I don't know how they did that but um and i i actually have a picture on my facebook page of my um placenta milkshake i made do you remember this i don't but i will definitely be going back after this recording to find out i made a a banana milkshake and i sprinkled in like seven capsules of my placenta and (laughs) literally like uh, and i think i also like took a couple capsules too just like orally Um, because she said, just like, take a bunch and then you can taper off. Right. And, um, immediately I could just feel this energy kind of go through my body. Um, that was, oh, so healing and such a relief. Nice. Yeah. It was a lifesaver. So I fortunately had a bunch of placenta pills that lasted me for maybe a Gosh, I don't remember how many months, but a long time. Um, And they really helped a lot. With your energy, with um, your mood? All that. So my energy, my mood, my anxiety was big. Mm. So to just kind of highlight my anxiety, um, we got back from the hospital. And I remember at one point I thought to like put on music like on my phone or iPod or whatever I had at the time. And I found like a maybe Spotify kind of station that was like baby music. And in that moment, it hit me that I hadn't played music for my son yet. And he's three days old. And I started sobbing. Oh. (laughs) He hasn't heard music (laughs) his whole life. (laughs) I can laugh about it now, but it was so real in that moment. It was like, how could I have not played music? Like there should have been music from day one. (laughs) Oh, so that I think that really highlights kind of where my like anxiety was, right? Yep. Um, I also, you know, when I, we were in the hospital, like the day we went into the emergency room is when my milk came in. Mm. My breasts just like all of a sudden ballooned, and I they were hard as rocks, and we were dealing with this emergency. And I remember going to the bathroom and passing very large blood clots. And it was really scary because I just wanted to be there for my baby. Right. You know, fortunately, it did not get any worse and it did get better. But Were that's kind of... Were you able to, to breastfeed him while he was in the hospital? I was. Nice. I was. Yeah. Thank goodness. And so I breastfed him for about three years. And and that was a great experience for both of us. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe this is a myth. But he also, coincidentally or not, did not sleep for more than one to three hours at a time for the first three years of his life. Wow. Yeah. So like, you know, you heard about how exhausted I was during labor and then, you know, the postpartum initial postpartum period. And then there was this like, oh my gosh, my child doesn't sleep, which I thought was normal. But now with my second, he's a great sleeper. So I'm like, okay, that was different. Yeah. And also the, you know, my relationship with food 
also was really intense in the postpartum period. Immediately, I remember my best friend came and helped out for a couple weeks and she's an amazing cook and she just kept cooking for me. And literally like she'd bring me a plate or my husband would bring me a plate and I would look at it and think to myself, that's not enough food. Mm. Like it was intense. And, um, and it took me, a, you know, like I'm still dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not so much the, I don't feel like I have to eat in qu- large quantities, but during that postpartum period, I felt like the one way I could describe it and I did describe it even then was like, I just felt so completely and utterly depleted. Yes. You know? And it was like, oh, it was just exhausting. So I kept trying to eat food because food, you know, even if this wasn't my language at the time, like food is medicine. Yep. Um, and, but I wasn't getting the right foods <laughs> or the right nutrients, even though I, you know, generally speaking, I was eating healthy, but I, I kept eating cause I wasn't getting what I needed to nurture myself and sustain all that I was doing and the milk I was producing and, and all of that. Um, so it was intense. I just want to pause and just affirm that, as survivors, and this is what I've I've seen, you know, in my own work of uh, wow. survivor birth consultations. It's you know, it's like half of it is peer counseling sort of stuff, you know, yeah. like supporting folks' reflection and and them making their own meanings of things. And then the other half is doula work, right, around the logistics right. of birth and medical stuff. But also a big part of my work is to give folks a heads up about postpartum. Uh, You know, birth in itself, like for someone who's had a pristine life, shall we say, with like no experiences of violence is a fucking intense experience, (laughs) right? Like, like birth in itself is a primordially violent experience. And so therefore, it makes sense that there'd be a lot of intensity in the postpartum. But for many survivors, especially survivors of childhood sexual assault, Mm -hmm. the the pattern of trauma uh, is so ingrained in our in our bodies that it comes up in the intensity of birth. And so even if there wasn't necessarily something that you experienced as violent in your birth, those patterns in our body are still very prevalent. So then therefore, it's like, it's very common for folks to already have uh, a pre-existing level of Mm -hmm. depression or anxiety Mm -hmm. already there. And then just to put the normal shenanigans of postpartum life around lack of sleep and your body sustaining another human being, I just want to, I just want to affirm (laughs) what you said because a lot of folks, you know, we talked in the last episode about shame and isolation when it comes to being survivors, and I also see that being common for birthing folks, you know, in the in the especially in the early postpartum period. And so I just want to affirm that because there's a lot of folks that feel just get stuck in the shame cycle about actually right now I'm pretty miserable and I feel shitty that I'm not super excited about my baby. And so instead of telling anyone, they just internalize it. And also to know that you can very much be in love with your child and still feel incredibly shitty. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like a direct parallel around the shame and isolation. Mm. Um, Absolutely felt all of that. You know, there was shame when I couldn't get back to dancing or, you know, shame when I didn't lose the weight. Mm. Um, All of those things. How was the transition back into the working world? (laughs) So um, financially, we were not in a great place at that time. And so I had to go back to work when my maternity leave was up, whatever it was that they granted. And um, 
we had milked it. So we kind of figured out a way Fred was able to get some paternity leave. And so I went back to, I can't remember. doesn't matter. But um, I went back to work and Levi had to go into daycare when he was five months old. And um, I was at work for two weeks before I gave my notice. <laughs> and that was because yeah, it was just hard. You know, it's super hard to leave your baby anywhere. Um, yes. And he was five months old. The daycare was great, but I felt like it wasn't the best setup for his age, like five months. So I felt like every time I picked him up, I was like, Oh, it feels like he's a little too cold. Like maybe there's a little too much outside time, you know, Mm. and I just couldn't stomach it. And so I quit my job, which was a stressor. I actually picked up work as a part-time nanny where I was able to bring my baby with me. Oh, nice. It was awesome. It was really an awesome experience. And um, the boy that I watched was two and a half years old when I started and I did that for about six months so so Levi was with me then when he was one it was like right around his birthday is when I got my um my staff position at SF4 and it was like it was my dream job right like I always Mm -hmm. wanted to work a lot of people SF4 know how many times I interviewed at SF4 (laughs) before I finally got hired and um and you know this was like the job that I wanted. So I sent him back to the same daycare because I did love it. And he was there for three years and they're like extended family. It was fantastic. Um, But it's still heartbreaking to drop your kid off at daycare. It's hard. We moved to Sacramento when he was about three and a half, partially because we wanted to have a second child and we just knew we could not financially handle it in San Francisco or the Bay Area. Yep. You know, and so we relocated not too long after that. You know, I got a job at the Rape Crisis Center in Sacramento and (laughs) not too long after that, I got pregnant. And that brings us to Zeke, um, who's now three. So I, you know, the state I was in during that pregnancy was a much better, like I was more financially settled and stable and in a relationship that I, that I knew (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I was working full time. I was the director of response services, uh, program at weave. And there was, it was a period of massive growth in that department. Like I think I started, there was like eight staff that I supported and then it became 30 or 20 plus some volunteer. Yeah, it was intense. Um, and yeah, so that all happened while I was pregnant. Did you provide um, direct services also with survivors during this time? A, a little bit, but mm. not not nearly as much as like the advocates that I that I supervised. Yeah. Um. So I was doing a lot of more like um, administrative and um, like program direction, yeah. and so a lot of meetings and that kind of thing. But I absolutely did. Um, you know, when we we started working with survivors of sex trafficking, I absolutely, you know, in order to kind of get staff comfortable, I would go with them, right? Like I would, I would do like anything that my staff did, I would do first. So when we started supporting survivors in, um, who were incarcerated in the youth detention facility and in the county jail. And when we were trying to make efforts to get into Folsom State Prison, I was the one who went and, you know, met with the first client or met with the um, folks who, you know, we were trying to organize with. Um, So 
it was intense yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I okay. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Now I'm kind of being greedy with this part just because I, I think about this so often as, as a survivor and as a birth yeah. worker, when I am pregnant one day, mm-hmm. knock on wood, mm-hmm. um, I was kind of wondering how and if that shape shifts. I've heard some folks describe it as like when they're pregnant, they get a sense of superpower, you know, where they're just more resilient because they're so rooted in Mm -hmm. their own taking care of themselves and baby. But then I've also heard folks describe it as an increased vulnerability to Mm. to intensity. Yeah. How how was that for you? For me, um, I think like a lot of survivors, I have that... (laughs) that skill set of being able to compartmentalize, mm-hmm. you know, for, again, that can be like pros and cons to that. Um, but it definitely worked to my advantage with respect to um, work and also with pregnancy. Right. So I really tried to, uh, I think it's an ongoing practice for me to, you know, like the integration of all aspects of who I am, Right. And so um, I will say when I started at Weave, there was a huge shift for me. This was kind of like a new beginning. I'm at an, in a new city at a new job. I'm going to be committed to being like my whole self. Right. And that mindset really helped when I did become pregnant. So I was able to set some boundaries. But then at the same time, I was still able to do my work. And I'm really passionate about my work. Right. So I'm trying to think specifically. I did not feel more vulnerable, per se. I was maybe a little more protective of myself, which you should be anyway in this work. (laughs) 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 But like, you know, if you're working with people that have, you know, pimps that are following them and, um, you know, you're working in and out of a a safe house and a shelter, um, you do have to be a little vigilant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was careful, but also, you know, I have to give like a ton of credit to my team because they also supported me. Like there was this mutual support going on. They knew that I had their back and they had mine. Absolutely. Uh, They actually threw me the sweetest baby shower. Mm. It was so, yeah, it was bumblebee themed. (laughs) Um, So, you know, and I think there is a doubt. So I will say like going back, with Levi, because that was kind of like when I really, really like officially stepped into my career with this work being like my job, right? Mm-hmm. And not just my passion and everything I'm committing myself to. But also I started to make money. At it. Yes. <laughs> um, so with Levi, I was so nervous to apply for that job and interview for that job. But my confidence shot up because it was about more than just me. I was also considering, like, who do I want to be as a mother? Who, you know, like, what do I want to be doing in this world? And, and sh- you know, what do I want to show for? I, I don't know how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And how do I want my children to know me and what I'm doing in this world? Mm-hmm. And so then it was just like, I have to have this job. I have to. Like, this is everything that I want to do. I know I'll be good at it. And I just, because I think sometimes, you know, when I didn't get the job in in prior attempts, it was a lack of confidence. It was like, um, yeah, a lack of confidence or me being humble and too humble. Mm. You know, you need Mm -hmm. to show some confidence in an interview. Um, So anyway, I definitely had more confidence. I think that 
having children that also like upped the drive. Yeah. Does that answer? It totally does. Yeah. Thank you for, for yeah. going down that rabbit hole with me. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like your pregnancy with Zeke, you were in a powerful place. Like you, sounds like you yeah. took care of it. <laughs> I did. And you know what else I did? I was like, you know, again, like financially, Fred had a good job at the time. I had a good job. I had the privilege to assert myself around what I needed for my maternity leave. And that was a huge blessing I did not have with Levi. Like I had to go back to work. I had to figure it out, right? I had to figure out how to make some extra money. And with Zeke, Fred and I talked long and hard about it. I I told my work I was going to be off for six months. Nice. I was off for six months. Nice. Yeah. And I had um I had a supervisor at the time who was incredible. And she was actually she has she in another lifetime, she was a doula as well. So she just I mean she actually came like the day the day that, that Zeke was born, you know, because she mm. needed to see that that squishiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I was felt really supported and I I completely like everyone because I'm I am a workaholic and everyone at work was like, no seriously, do not check your email. <laughs> And everyone was supporting me to really, truly be there. And I was and I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm really good at, you know, holding those boundaries for important things like the birth of my child. And so I was like, you'll be surprised. You'll be proud of me. I will not check in. And I didn't. And and I remember, like, they would kind of call, like, two, three months later and be like, you were right. You actually did it. I, I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um so it was, yeah, it was definitely a much more powerful place to be. And um, I felt really well supported. Fred at the time, like with Zeke, he got something, uh, I forget, he he got like four months of paternity leave that was paid. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. So he took two months off in the beginning to, so you know, we could, he could help me during the healing process and also be there with the baby. And then he took two months off, like, when I went back to work, which was, you know, six months later. That's Um, awesome. Go California. Yeah, Yeah. it was incredible. And there should be more. (laughs) So what else I'll say, so with, um, you know, just kind of speaking to some of the differences between my first and second, um, I chose with my second baby to hire a postpartum doula because, well, you just heard everything that happened postpartum with Levi. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't, you know, even though we were in a much better state financially, we still, you know, we're not wealthy. So I couldn't afford to do a home birth and I couldn't afford to have a, a doula, a birth doula and a postpartum doula. So the birth center where I went to, um, in Davis, um, was awesome and they actually have like a doula program it didn't end up working out for me because my birth was super fast um or my labor but I chose to hire a postpartum doula for you know a few visits and then um you know another thing that I was really cognizant of was preparing Levi who was gonna you know be like four and a half when the baby was born around having a baby brother so Levi had his baby Zeke doll. <laughs> he used to drag it around everywhere and it was his baby Zeke and all this. And he's like an incredible big brother now. It's really phenomenal. 
I had a lot of, is it called prodromal labor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the like fake labor. <laughs> yeah, I had like months of that with Zeke. Oh wow! Yeah, it was really interesting too because with Levi, my placenta was in front, mm-hmm. and so I didn't feel a lot with him. And then with Zeke, it was in a different area, and I felt everything. He was a little boxer in there, and <laughs> so fast forward to when I went into labor, Fred could tell I was in labor before I knew. Like I was, because I was still like, this is just the fake labor right and then when finally he's like i think we need to go to go into the hospital i was like well i'll call the midwife and i'll I'll consult so i called they got me the midwife who was on call and he answered the phone and i'm like oh shit this is a man Mm. i have never like i've never had a cis male gynecologist or anything right so I was freaking out so I just remember I'm like totally in labor and I was like oh okay well so what time does your shift end (laughs) right I was like you know I can't buffer this anymore I just asked when his shift ended and he's like oh well I'm here until seven so if you come before seven I was like okay thank you so much bye we get off the phone and I just start walking upstairs and Fred's like what what they say what they say and I'm like oh it's fine um I'm gonna go to bed If you ignore it, it won't happen. Exactly. Right? I was in my mind. I was like, I just need to go to bed. I just need to hold this baby in because I can't go back there until after fucking seven a.m. <laughs> of course, we ended up going. Like Fred, like called it. He was like, "No, you need to go." And I thought, like, I totally thought I was not in labor. I will have to share a picture with you, Ari, of of when I thought I was not in labor. And I was like, in the picture, I was so in labor. <laughs> <laughs> but um so anyway we he finally was like let's go we need to do this i know you don't want a male midwife but you're gonna be fine you've done this before all this stuff we go in at like i think we get there at like 1 30 on the drive there because it was like we had like a 20 minute drive from where we lived um my water broke in the car it was like the movies oh big gush <laughs> yeah and i was like my water just broke <laughs> And um, so that was fun. And then we get there. And I remember that first feel of walking after my water broke was Mm -hmm. like, oh, this baby's coming. Um, And there were a bunch of babies being born. So they had to clean the room. I actually got a room with a birth tub. And I actually gave birth in the tub. And it was amazing. I was on all fours. I, um, I got there. At like 1.30, I was in the tub at like 3 a.m. and I gave birth at 4.08 a.m. And it was such an incredible experience. Like, mm. yeah, they had it all, the lights were down low. At one point, I remember I'd asked Fred to play music and I, I forget, Richard Bona, I think is who I asked for. I don't, I might be saying his name wrong, but um at one point I'm like totally laboring and I hear the music come on and I'm like, Oh, he remembered. (laughs) I thought that was the sweetest thing. Um, I barely talked to my midwife, my midwife, the male midwife. Right. Um, They never examined me. I I gave birth super fast. And afterwards he said to me, you were incredible. And I just want to thank you for letting me witness your birth. (laughs) 
damn straight. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh. So, yeah. So that was. <laughs> You're all like, so sweet. And I was like, you fucking should have said that. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. So that was that. Water birth was incredible. And then Zeke also ended up having jaundice and having to go to the hospital, which was not as traumatic, but also kind of shitty because we kind of had to advocate for his care. <laughs> oh, I know. It's just silliness. Um, and that postpartum doula was supposed to come to our home the day we went to the hospital with Zeke. And she came to the hospital and was such a blessing. She helped so much during that that hospital experience and mm-hmm. helped keep me sane. Um, Were the you other able thing, to sleep this time? Sorry to... A, a little bit. Like, I remember, like, telling myself, like, there was this, like, logical part of my brain, you know, those layers. Go- <laughs> One of those layers was logical and was telling me, like, you know you have to sleep. Like, you have to sleep and you can trust this woman you barely know who's a doula to hold your baby. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know or fred will be awake or whatever so i did sleep a little bit better and then actually you know i i co-slept with zeke i was paranoid to co-sleep with levi because he was my first and you know all the paranoia of mm-hmm. sids and everything and i just made the decision and it was still scary i literally would like i'm not even a religious person but i would pray every night <laughs> before I went to bed like oh please wake me up (laughs) if something goes down but co-sleeping I co-slept with him for forever it felt like and it was an awesome experience it was just so much easier to like breastfeed and everything and when like he was like four weeks old I did have depression and anxiety and for me I feel like it was more so anxiety than depression but certainly some depression too Mm -hmm. um And when I felt that really kick in, I waited until like the four week mark because, you know, there's like the baby blues that's like completely normal that everyone has. So I was like, let me just make sure it's just not just the baby blues. I'll I'll kind of like monitor myself. And I was, Fred is incredible. I can talk with him about this stuff. So he was there for me as well, supporting me. And then when it got to four weeks, I was at this point where I was like, I knew that I did like the total martyr mom thing in a number of ways with Levi or with motherhood up until that point. And I got to the point where I was like, I am going to get help. Like, I'm not going to try to power through this because it's beyond powering through, right? Mm -hmm. The postpartum anxiety and depression. And so I did consult with my midwife and I did start taking antidepressants. And within like a day, (laughs) I don't even know if that's possible. So like maybe that was psychological. I don't know. But within a day, I felt better. Mm. I mean, I, this sounds like a silly question, but yeah, I, yeah. I know that there are folks that would appreciate this answer. Um, how did you know that you were depressed? I was crying all the time mm-hmm. about anything. Like it could be something happy and I would just be like, oh my God, it's amazing. And like, I'm so grateful and not everything, you know, like I just was weeping. And then certainly things would make me depressed or, you know, of course, like I haven't talked a ton about my partner, but like, you know, who do we take shit out on? The people mm-hmm. who are closest to us, right? So yeah. like the arguments that I would have with Fred that were just like, okay, like, in hindsight, I don't think that really needed to be an argument. Like, (laughs) and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize, like, absolutely, like, have conversations with your partner. Um, It wasn't that it was beyond that, right. And I just knew because it was so different from how I am normally. Mm. Um, 
And when I, and again, kind of like with what I highlighted uh, previously around when you're unable to, to do the things that you normally would do. And so it's a slightly, um, you know, it's a different scenario because you're postpartum. So like, what do you normally do when you're postpartum? I've only had this experience once before, right. but that did give me the, the, um, it gave me the, what's the word? It gave me an, something to compare to, mm-hmm. right? So I would, I could kind of gauge like, oh, I was like this with Levi and that was totally normal. Or I was like this with Levi and that was fucked up and I should have gotten help. Mm. And, you know, when I just started to get really down on myself or feeling like I was not a good mom or I was doing things wrong, when I know, logically speaking, that I'm doing everything I possibly can to be right. a great mom. Um, so if I'm really being that hard on myself, then that's a bit much. And maybe there is some help. And also, like, I don't need to suffer, right? right. I don't need to suffer. And what's the, ult- like, ultimately, what's this doing, not for or to, I don't know how to say it, but like, it does impact how you parent, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I have a toddler, well, a big ass toddler. <laughs> he was very big. <laughs> but I have a four year old. I don't know. That's a kid, I guess. A four year old and a newborn. And I want to be there for both of them. And if I need something to help me, you know, in the interim, I'm going to do that. And of course, I did all the reading and research. And um, I was doing taking placenta pills as well, which did help a ton. But um, the Zoloft helped just a little bit more in the way that I needed. Yes. Yeah. And weaning off of it is a bitch. So, mm. <laughs> so there's that. And I'm still weaning off of it. He's three years old. Mm. Yeah. But it's happening. Oh, well, motherhood. <laughs> thank you so much for for sharing all of that. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, you are. I love your, <laughs> my experience of you is that you generally are an upfront and honest person, but just the vulnerability and honesty you brought to this recorded conversation is fucking legit. And I really, really appreciate it. And I know guarantee that, um, that there are folks out there that appreciate this as well, especially because you're talking about these experiences of motherhood and motherhood and and survivorship as someone who's doing this work, not just a normal person, I guess, off the street. So, (laughs) so this, this perspective is really, really helpful. So with that, I would like to close today's episode. Is there anything else you'd like to say in closing for folks? I think I'm good. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you. The music you heard in today's show is entitled Warrior by Demi Lovato. Deep gratitude to Tabitha Thomas for joining me in today's episode and to We Rise Cultural Productions for assistance in production. Go to birthbruja.com to learn about upcoming trainings, mentorship circles, and more. Follow me on social media at birthbruja to continue the conversation. I've been your host, Eric Guajardo-Johnson. The Birth Bruja podcast is produced by Catherine Petru of We Rise. Be sure to check out show notes for links and resources. Follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes to help us expand the impact of this work. Until next time, my friends, thank you for all the ways you show up in this world. Blessings and gratitude. Now I'm a warrior. 
You can 